They've maintained their level of interest and engagement, and it's only sort of grown. And we just keep seeing new ways that it's benefiting all parties. And I think that's just been such a fun part of the whole experience so far. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, super excited because we get to have incredible conversations with innovative and amazing people that are doing really cool stuff in the world of education. And joining us today is Jason Blair, um, who's in his 20th year as an elementary art teacher, um, currently with Dublin City Schools. And for those of you that might recognize that name and are thinking, hey, We've, we've talked to Jason before. That's because we have. Um, Jason was a participant when we spoke with the Columbus Museum of Art about the Project Zero work. Um, and Jason is the teacher leader in residence with the Columbus Museum of Art um, in that capacity. And so, Jason, welcome back to the program. Thank you. I'm so excited to be back. So I'm excited about this conversation because this time we get to talk about the way Jason has taken all the innovative things that he's learned um, over these 20 years and the variety of projects and partnerships that he's had the opportunity as a really incredible educator in this space to get to be part of and then take those and translate them directly into his own classrooms and his own experience with his own students. And so, Jason, I'm super excited about the opportunity to talk with you about a couple of projects that you're working on, including including a multi-age art class with fifth and first first grade students. And then another premise, we're going to roll these all together. So I'm just going to share this out there with our guests, because uh, with, our, with our listeners, because it's so exciting to me, this notion of exploring learning through the lens of thinking like an artist, a designer, and a change agent. And I don't know who doesn't want to be a change agent, especially um, um, this day and age. So, so Jason, share with us sort of the work that you're doing. Let's talk about that multi-age piece and then weave thinking like an artist um, through this for us. Sure. Um, so I guess I'll back up a little bit to give some context. So uh, a year ago, we one of the things I tried to experiment with in the art room, I guess some of the things that one of the questions that's framing my learning as an educator is um, this idea of what would happen if students learn and create with, through, and for others instead of just strictly content area. So that sort of guided sort of where I'm going to go in this conversation. Um, So one of the things that I started last year was with the fifth graders, I I wanted them to, I wanted to experiment with what it would be like to have an, an art project that actually there was no product. Instead, it was an experience. So I had these fifth graders, I posed them, what would it be like to design a joyful experience um, for kindergarten students? And so they they spent a a good deal of time doing that and and doing some empathy interviews. And um, they sort of put on the hat of thinking like an artist, um, doing some playful experimentation with these kindergartners and and observing how they would play. Um, And then they put on the lens of, you know, thinking like a designer and they had to solve a problem. The problem was, how do you design a joyful experience for kindergartners? And then the idea of being a change agent is, is how would they actually, you know, impact? How would they make this immersive experience where they could, you know, essentially uh, change the day for the very least for these kindergarten students when they came in? So it was it was a fascinating experience. And 
just amazing on so many levels what these fifth graders came up with and and just the the just the the amount of dispositions they were exercising that process of being you know collaborative and critical thinking and and showing empathy for these kids and and realizing they had to scale things back based on this based on the age and and um all those all those parts so that was a fascinating experience and what that did for me was it planted the seed of what would it be like if i had you know two different ages of kids in the class for a year and so we took that experience and i posed it to my administrator who's extremely supportive um and said you know i i've got some teachers that be willing to kind of pilot a multi-age related arts class. And so we did it. And so this year we're off and running and we have, I have a class um, we we've named that. Well, they've named themselves. One class is the Phoenix and the other class is the Tigers. And they are made up of half fifth graders and half first graders. Um, We're currently in the middle of a sort of um, project where they have been partnered up with the two different age levels. And they're um, trying to create a, a sort of gift to get to know the other person based on what they've learned about them so far. Um, and it's just honestly, like these first three months have been fascinating. You know, just one little anecdote I heard was I heard when they were doing their interviews with the first graders, I was kind of walking around and I tried to be as invisible as possible. And I heard one of the fifth graders ask a first grader a question and the first grader kind of looked puzzled at him and he didn't know I was around, but I was kind of, you know, teacher eavesdropping. And I heard him say, Oh, how can I ask this so you'll understand it? And just that right there shows me that he's processing and he's figuring out how do I need to adjust my vocabulary for this and, and think about my audience and how do I have these social connections? So there's all these little anecdotal stories that are popping up like that that have been fascinating so far. Mm-hmm. That It is absolutely remarkable. And I love that someone, there's just so many different directions that we could go with the conversation around this. But one of the things that I'm super curious about, having watched kids in multi-age groups before, and I think that's incredibly powerful for kids, is this notion of them seeing these younger kids, these fifth graders in particular, seeing the younger kids as 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 full humans, right? Not just this 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 irritant or these this little kid that's over here that I don't know how to interact with. And you know, and often, you know, these kids are gonna have siblings. So it's not like they're unused to, if you will, some of those social interactions, but it's very different when you've created this opportunity for them to teach and learn together, right? Because they're teaching and learning each other. That's a really incredibly powerful opportunity for kids. And I'm curious how the majority of them sort of handle the first inclinations of that, right? Well, what, what's, what are the first couple of days like? Because I would think that that's going to be the hardest part, you know, as they sort of launch into this completely new thing. Yeah, and it's been really interesting because as first graders, <clears throat> um, I don't see them as kindergartners. So this is all they know for this first grade class. And so they were actually shocked to hear that their other first grade classmates don't have this experience um, because we've reflected with along the way. And so the first couple of days, like, you know, we even set it up where we had the fifth graders go and pick up the first graders and they walk down together and just creating that sense of community. But the fifth graders have been doing some reflecting along the way. And, and so we had them reflect in the very beginning about, you know, what are they, what are the thoughts, you know, about this experience so far? And they, they had really great ideas, but then we, when then we had them go back and revisit so far, like, you know, a couple months later, and they noticed there was a thinking, you know, they said, one of the things they said was sometimes they have to nudge the first graders and they use that word nudge. 
and meaning that, you know, and sometimes in their thinking or the way they're using a tool, they could help them in a little bit in those, in those regards. But we also asked what they're getting from the experience and, and what they're getting from it. They even said um, it's fun. It's joyful because they're recognizing like it's almost like having these younger kids in there gave them the freedom to experience the emotions they want to have. And, and because, as we know, as kids get older, they sort of self-edit and they, they're very much caught up in, in their peer circles. But when you have six year olds in there that aren't on that same level, it, it frees them up on some level. So. They they mentioned that that it's it's joy it's excitement. Um, they they said that they they like their imagination. You know they they just, they admire that. Like you can see that they admire that. Um, and then just you know what we're trying to work on right now is trying to in the in the beginning, it's natural for the fifth graders to assume as sort of uh, like I don't know babysitting is not the right word, but you know what like that they that they know everything and that they're going to help sort of coddle the first graders. And now there's transitioning to, to learning side by side and to learning with them and not, and not having it so that they're realizing they're kind of like, Oh, I don't have to take care of so-and-so. Um, and so, you know, we'll hear little comments too, where another comment I heard was one of the fifth graders, you know, kind of being a little goofy. And, and one of the um, fifth grade girls said, do you want them to act like that when they're in fifth grade? And right away he was like, <laughs> kind of perfect. But we see, but we see it too. Like I was talking with the classroom teacher and they've been, they're, they're so open and, and welcome to this experience. And they were saying that when they, when the fifth grade teacher walks her class down to the, to the, to related arts, you know, they're kind of talking and, and doing whatever and kind of goof around as they're coming in the halls. Right when they hit to go by that first grade class that they're, that's their buddies, they change when they walk by, just when they walk by that class. So I think it's those little things that are fascinating insight to see the profound impact that this multi-experience is, is actually happening, happening, happening to both the first graders and the fifth graders as well. Yeah, no, that's absolutely remarkable. I love that. So let's talk a little bit more about that first grade experience because I think it's interesting that, um, you know, for for the the groups of kids that are participating right now, they they don't know another opportunity. But I'm super super curious about what they get out of it, right? And so what? tell us a little bit about some of the things that you're seeing as it relates to the sort of first grade interactions. Mainly what I'm trying to get at here is I love the near peer mentoring component of this very, very much. Um, you know, and I've talked numerous times on this program about the value of near peer mentoring. And, you know, if the, we just let the teachers get out of the way, the kids will will teach each other so much. And I have no doubt that that's happening. I'm super curious about sort of how those first graders are processing some of those pieces because it's, you know, A, they, they, they don't have a lot of experience in a school setting. And B, um, because they're so much younger, they're so creative, they're really unfettered because they don't have enough experiences to say, I can't do X, Y, or Z, right? So I'm curious about how that interaction, how the first grader is really mentoring the fifth grader in that in that scenario. Yeah, there's definitely a couple ways. You know, I, I think the first graders and the fifth graders, but more so the first graders, I think what they're getting at right away, before we talk about anything sort of academic or, or skill or content-based, is they're getting these relationships that are so powerful because they have a connection with the oldest group of kids in the school. And, and to have that and to see them light up when they see each other and to see them have this connection in other areas of the school now um, is, is just, it's just inspiring. Um, 
And then also the other the other part of it is is talking to one of the other first grade the, the first grade teacher who's who's working with us on this too is you know she mentioned that she loves this idea because the you know she she's she's loved seeing her first grade her first graders have you know first graders in general have these ideas that are through the roof right they only think sort of in blue sky thinking but what what this fifth grade added added element does is it helps them to to share that voice it helps them to get over sort of a roadblock that might have happened previously. Whereas there might be a breakdown in frustration of, I don't know how to do this, or I can't get this, to, I can't get this the way I want. There's a fifth grade right there that maybe has a little bit of experience and, and can be that mentor and model to say, what about this? Have you tried this? And it's, again, it's different when it's coming from a peer. It's, it's, it's much more impactful. They, it resonates more. Um, they look up to those fifth graders, just they visually see those fifth graders. Like you can see their eyes twinkle when the first graders look at them. Um, but I've just, I've seen a lot on, on those levels. And then again, like, like I said, from the first providing to the fifth, it's just that freedom to imagine. It's that it's the non constraints of peer pressure of, um, of just the other things that might bog you down in a typical fifth grade classroom, you know, kind of the, the idea of not looking silly. And, and I don't want, you know, I think there's a lot of, I think a lot of times these fifth graders have these ideas and want to enact them, but they're held back because they're worried about being judged. And it's, and I think these first graders really provide that opportunity to say, you know what, <laughs> we're here to let our imagination run wild. So let's do it. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, and it's tough, like you said, because, you know, in the scenario that, you know, that you're operating in those fifth graders, you know, they're the top of the pecking order in that school. Right. And we, we've all, we've all been there. Right. And there's something about that. And there's something about that journey. And suddenly it's super, super visible, you know, to your point. So, and what happens, um, you know, is we, we get to that point where the kids become kind of too cool for school. Right. Um, and so you're giving them, through the scenario that you created, almost this permission, right, to let go of the too cool for school component and just really sort of immerse yourself in the experience that's going to be a lot of fun. And these younger kiddos, they're going to look up to you. And so you, the transition of I'm, I'm too cool to now I'm super cool, right? Because the, somebody looks up for me. And it's a very different sort of nature of coolness, I guess, if you will, right, um, for these kids. So that's, that's a really neat component to it. Yeah. And they, and they have like, you know, when, when you mention that too, it makes me think of a lot of times, you know, we, if we're from an outside the education field, we'll look at sort of the products they create and not the process. And I think the thing that's been so powerful with this is when you create that permission, you're, you're also giving the stamp of approval that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to take risks. It's okay to do these things that we really need you to do to be adaptable and flexible. And again, that just translates on so many levels to that's the kind of learner we need in our world today. We need flexible, adaptable learners who are, who are confident to take risks and try things. And if we can give that experience to a fifth grader, I mean, that's, that's through the roof. Like if they're able to sit there and say, as typically what, what happens is the trajectory of the creativity might go down a little bit and the imagination might go down. Now it's all of a sudden getting at U curve and all of a sudden now it's bouncing back up. And I think, it, and it's not necessarily in what the objects are they're creating. It's in the act that's taking place. It's in the process that's taking place in that art room where these kids have this ability now to truly get messy with their thinking and it's okay. And they're not feeling like they're getting judged. And I think that's just a really powerful experience. Yeah. No, it's really remarkable. And and I'm super curious too about, 
you know, as we step sort of zoom out just a little bit from what's happening in the classroom, how is this experiment, if you will, that's that's going on in the school, how is it then, how is it impacting the rest of the school? How is it trans? I'm super curious now. You're three months in, you know, after you you've done did your original pilot, you know, everybody's super supportive. Folks, folks are kind of all in to make this happen, but it's gonna have an impact. There's gonna be a ripple. It might be a little one, it might be a giant one, and maybe that story is yet to be fully realized, um, you know, in your school. But something's going to happen as a result of this. And it's it's intriguing, as you know, you and I both know, in the world of education, we're surrounded by incredibly creative people, but we can also be surrounded by incredibly traditional people sometimes. And sometimes that balance in a building can be really, really difficult to navigate um, as a teacher, especially a t- teacher that's wanting to try, or a set of teachers in this case, right, who opted in to try something new and different. And sometimes those disruptions that it causes can be threatening, they can be exciting, they can be everything in between. And so I know the listeners are like, okay, this is super cool, but what does everybody else on the team think about it? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, there's there's definitely some logistics that went in behind the scenes to make sure we had people that wanted to be involved and, um, and they did. And so we were able to kind of get that worked out. Right now, I think the story, as you mentioned, the story is still kind of being written. I think we've seen, uh, we've seen some things growing. We've seen interest from other staff members that have asked about it. And I would like to try that. Um, and, and and so there, there's a conversation there. We're, we're going to start hosting learning labs in our building where we'll kind of share out some of the things we're learning along the way. One of the things we're trying to be really cognizant of is documentation and trying to document um, the anecdotal stories and what we're seeing both in the classroom and in the art room um, and, and try to, to, to document those to, to see what's happening, what's taking place so that we can help other people understand it. Because it's one of those things where you have to see it, you have to be immersed in it to really feel it. So we're trying to do as much as we can to capture that um, in those moments to, to see what it looks like. But it's it's going to be interesting, too, because like you said, that, you know, those first graders don't know any different. And so they, they just assume that that's how that's how things work. And from a fifth grade standpoint, uh, you know, just from last year when we did that immersive experience with the fifth and kindergartner, they were asking for it. They were ready for it. I mean, they they kind of I think one of the things we've tried to do is we've tried to keep sort of asking questions of the fifth graders more so because like I said, this is very different for them. First graders, it's not so much because they haven't had it, but but their level of interest and engagement and excitement has only gone up. And, and so I think that's a positive. It's not, it hasn't gotten to the point where, you know, they would say something like, are we still doing that? Or is this, are we going to change? It's not like that at all. They're, and we, you know, right before they left, I, I asked them, before, we had a meeting last week with just the core team to kind of talk about and process what we had seen so far. And I had one of the classes and I asked this, this Phoenix class, I said, you know, we're having this meeting. Is there anything you want me to bring, bring to the group? And they, you know, they were like, well, one thing we'd like to play with each other at recess. We'd like to, we'd like to have that experience t- together with fifth and first grade. Um, they also said, we'd like to do more as a whole class, meaning the Phoenix and the Tigers together instead of being separated. So they're, they're in, in and of themselves, they're embracing this idea of, of thinking about things differently. And that's sort of been our guiding question for the for the whole project was uh, what happens if we do things differently? Because we wanted to use that we wanted to use the idea of thinking like a change agent, uh, but it, but in a friendly term that, could, that a sixth grader a six year old could understand and a ten or eleven year old can understand. So what happens if we do things differently is sort of our tagline. And and so one of the things we're thinking about going next is really branching off on their idea of recess and seeing what does that mean? How could we rethink sort of recess and how it happens and how it experiences and and what is it like from a first grade perspective and a fifth grade perspective? So 
there's just all these sort of seeds that pop up. But yeah, the, the, they've, they've maintained their level of interest and engagement and it's only sort of grown and we just keep seeing new ways that it's benefiting all parties. And I think that's just been uh, such a fun part of the whole experience so far. It is absolutely. I really, really love this. Um, we, I've, I've did did an interview um, early on in this program um, with a with a teacher um, out west who um, who in an after school setting she couldn't do it in her traditional classroom in the after school setting she she regularly brought in older kids and it has bloomed into this thing you know that she just never imagined that it would be because the older kids and the younger kids and the mentorship that's happening and very sort of similar sorts of um, center energies, um, but also sort of the ongoing. And I think it's now multiple years in at this point for, for the work that she is doing. And I can imagine, you know, something similar with what you're experiencing. What about the families? What is the community talking or thinking about? What kind of questions, if any, um, are you getting as a result of sort of this piece? Because it's not just, you know, impacts that are happening inside the school. There's no way this doesn't go home. Because if the kids are excited, it's going home. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely going home. And that's one of the things we're trying to work on right now, too, is to find uh, ideas to have exhibitions and to try to find ways to invite families in to see what's going on more so. Uh, but we, but the classroom teachers mentioned at the beginning of the year that this was going to be something we are going to try. And, and sort of the full disclosure on it, what we've done is to make it work is it's with art and library. There's four related art sections. But we wanted to try as a pilot I couldn't have done it by myself because the way the schedule works. So I needed to get one other related arts teacher and our media specialist, our entire building is full of amazing people, but our media specialist said that she would do it. Um, so that's one of the logistics of it. So when the classroom teachers pose at the beginning of the year to their families at the um, open house night, we were able to say that it's an experience that will happen in an art and library, but PE and music will still stay the same. So it was kind of, it, so it's kind of the idea that they would have sort of the best of both worlds. Um, so it's one of those things where right now we're just trying to figure out ways to get some exhibitions and, and get some ways for the parents to come in and see, because it's, it's just, I mean, you can't help but have, have warm feelings in your heart when you see these kids interact in such a, a kind, empathetic way and, and also be learning just as much from each other in the process. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing I think that's really interesting about this, this this project that you've sort of taken on and certainly the conversation that we're having is, you know, I keep hearing you talking about this joyfulness, right? And so that's a really intriguing piece to me in all of this because it's super subjective. And with kids, it's really, really sort of tough, I think, to embrace the notion of I want to create a joyful experience for someone else. Right. So how do you how do you talk the kids through an understanding of that? And I'm super curious because I, I, I can almost guarantee I, in, as I'm thinking this through, they, they probably went directions you, di you didn't even anticipate because that's what kids do. Um, you know, they're so amazing in the way that they think. So how do you how did you help them navigate that? Because that's that's not a that's a very complex concept, the way you put it out there for them, which I love, by the way, that you didn't, you didn't make it, you know, over, overly simple. They, they can manage this. They can take it on. But how did you, how did you coach them through that? So, um, you're referring to last year's The Immersive Project? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so last year when we did this, uh, when we did this project, one of the things that I did was I wanted to try to find model sort of exemplars. And so there's, a, there's so many to choose from. Um, 
you know, one in the beginning was looking at a, a local Columbus-based uh, arts collaborative called The Other World. And then there was another one uh, based on an interview that, you know, Learning Unbox has done uh, with Meow Wolf, which is another learning collaborative, creative collaborative. And then uh, then we also looked at, uh, at uh, ideas like um, uh, there was a gentleman who redesigned um, sort of CAT scan machines for kids because what they were finding out was they were very intimidating and scary for kids. So we had little video clips where we showed the fifth graders this idea of how this person looked at this experience that was not, that was a very hard experience for kids to go through and realized that if they asked the kids directly, what would make it better? How could they help make this experience better? What would they do? And so they, you know, found out different ways to, to make this whole experience different. So I wanted them to look at and explore first different kinds of experiences and how people put humans and people first. They didn't look at the problems first, they looked at the people first. So that was our first step was we wanted to look to the kindergartners first. We wanted to go there and watch them play. And their idea was just to observe and watch and see what they play with, who they play with, how they play. Um, is there Are there moments of discomfort? Are there, are there times when they're fighting over things? What were they fighting over? And we spent about 15 minutes or so doing the observation. And then they had them do some interviews and ask the kids some sort of deeper questions that were not like yes, no, they were more open-ended uh, to gain feedback. And then we took that back to the classroom and talked as a class, you know, what are we going to take from this? What are some things we can talk as a group? And so one of the things was it was having these conversations where I tried to step out as much as I could to say to the class, how are we going to design this joyful experience, taking what you said? And so they might say, like, the conversations went, you know, somebody might say something and somebody else say, I don't know, because my person said that this is something that kind of scares them a little bit. Maybe we should think about another way to do that. So they had these designers. They were thinking like designers and trying to process through the kids that they had talked to. And so when they actually came down onto it, you, you know, they they created this narrative that happened and none of them I would have predicted. So that what they would do is they would walk into my space and they had to transform it. So they had all the materials to transform it. And one class, one group decided they would make a video game where the kids actually became part of the video game. So when they came to my door, I have a garage where that enters the space. They, they had made a TV and they had the f- kindergartners sit down at the TV and look at it. And when they looked in the box, it was just a box. And they said, um, push this button. And there was a button. And when they pushed the button, one of the boys, the fifth graders on the side, tapped the box. And then the boy who was inside my room pulled down the back of the box and they could now see into the room. And so they were all, wow, look at that. And so then the kids had to crawl through the box into the space. And then they, then they were off. And so there, you know, we had water being sprayed because there was a part where there was a waterfall happening and they were using the tables with wheels as these transportation to get around the different spaces. And we had kids brought in things and just, just completely amazing. And the way they thought about that joyful experience was taking into account all that they had learned about those kindergarten students and, and thinking about what they enjoy and bringing that into it. And as a result, at the end, all the kinder, like the, the kindergarten teachers told us afterwards, they were like, they said that was the best day they've had, at, you know, ever at school. And they want to do it again. And so, I, I mean, want, they just completely I loved to it. Be and one, of, one of those kindergartners. It sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. And it was, and yeah. it was, you know, it's like we said earlier, it's one of those things where it's not, it's not necessarily about the video game and everything else. It was all that learning that took place in building it. The fact that they had to iterate, the fact they had to think flexibly because of their needs, the fact they had to use, they had to think about the user at the end. There was so much, like there were so many skills that were taking place and exercising so many dispositions in that process that it just became, it just took on its own life. 
Yeah, I absolutely love that. Love that, love that, love that. So thank you for the sort of clarity around the way you did that process. So so now to bring it full circle then. So how did you how did you take what you, Jason Blair, learned from watching that pilot immersive experience then you know, as as you're now doing the next iteration, let's call it beta, right? Um, that's happening right now. So how did how did you take what you learned from there and then translate that into the new experience that is in fact what's happening this year? Because you know, it it's not the same. And and I'm curious why why is it not the same? So, so what were you thinking about what you learned from the first part that says, okay, now as we were going to do this, you know, bigger, broader, potentially a scale, how, do, how did you make the decisions about, about those sort of transition points? I think one of the things that I took away from that whole experience was just seeing the level of engagement and the purposeful, meaningful investigation that the kids did because there was an audience and they were designing for a user. and so taking that into account and thinking about this idea of one, there was an age component, right? Cause they were, it was for kindergartners. So they had to think about, you know, a lot of different facets, but then also this idea of, of learning with and through others with purpose and intent. And so it made me think, what if this next iteration was instead of having a, a one-off, we sustained it over the course of a year. And we brought these six-year-olds into this class with 11-year-olds and we had them create with, through, and for others in that process. And so it's it's more about the the long game now. So it's about this establishing not only a immersive experience, but a community and, and a, a creative collective community where they're experiencing one of the one of the things I think about when I think about joy is I think about joy as sort of an overarching feeling that encompasses lots of feelings. Because when we talk about the creative process, there are highs and lows. There are parts where we get frustrated beyond belief, we get angry that something's not working out. We feel excitement when something's going right. We feel this sense of awe and wonder at different points. And I think joy overarches all of that because what it is, is if we can go on, if we can go on a journey and sustain it over a year, we're feeling all those emotions at the other end was going to come this tremendous am- amount of pride that you, that you made it through that process. But in the, pro- but through that also, you were able to develop this idea of working with others that you wouldn't have gotten in a typical experience. Because just like we've talked about in, in, in sort of the world outside of school, you don't have specific disciplines. You don't have specific age groups. You don't have those artificial things that we have in schools. And this is the closest we've thought of breaking that down because this is a, this is a case of adjusting your language, your vocabulary, thinking about your skill set. How, you uh, how do you model different techniques? How do, you, how do you harness the imagination and bring it to somebody else? And and I think that's what this iteration is about is, is scaling it to a point where we're able to see this community growing and thriving and all of a sudden sort of spreading out, you know, that sort of rhizomatic idea of just these tentacles kind of growing and seeing how does it impact the playground? How does it impact the lunchroom now? Because you've got kids that know each other from other areas. How, you know, just the idea of problem solving, you know, I'll talk to the kids about if, if you tend to go with your core group of friends to approach a problem. I'll, I'll physically bring out something for, I'll bring out like a two-sided object. And I'll say, if you get a group of your friends and you all sit at, you're staring at from the same pro- from the same view because you're all, you know, you like soccer and you, you like playing video games and everything. Can you tell me what's on the backside of that object? And they can't. And I'll say, okay, well, if we've got somebody else that thinks differently from us, 
maybe somebody who likes poetry and likes dance, and they're on the other side. Now they can see what's on the back side of it. So now you work together and we're able to see a 360 degree view of the problem. So this is just another iteration of that, of giving, getting a six-year-old that brings a totally different mindset to, to a problem and seeing what they can take away from it and vice versa, the same way, bring an 11-year-old to a six-year-old mindset and seeing what, what comes from it. We're able to see this sort of collective growth that, that I don't think could happen if they were still isolated in, in sort of age-level classes. Yeah, no, and I absolutely agree. And I love this because this is sort of the entire world that I imagined. If I could, if I could just reinvent the whole thing, as you well know, you, we we've we've done things together. Um, yeah, you know, I would just throw it all to the wind and say, let's just give it to the children, <laughs> right? Let's let's learn and play and and immerse ourselves together. And you know, when we need to know a thing, we're, we'll be able to learn it in that moment. We you know, um, for all those different pieces. So you know, I always like to close the program recognizing that you know folks have spent 30 minutes listening to us have this conversation and they're out there in the world and they're going wow that's really really cool what Jason is doing and I'd really like to try something like that um, in my own school in my own classroom in my own community and yet sometimes it's tough to get started and so I always appreciate the fact that my my guests will chime in and sort of help these folks take that first, step um, towards whatever that thing happens to be. And so, you know, as folks are listening to this and they would love to be able to go to their administrator in their building or even another teacher in the building and say, hey, would you do this thing with me? What, what's your advice to them in terms of how just to get started with something like this? Um, there's, a, there's so many different ways you could take it. I, one thing that I think has worked that I've tried that could be a, a great entry point is to have sort of a mini exhibition of learning in your classroom, but with the added twist of asking the kids to add some interactive element to it. So in inviting another class or grade level. So for me, I had second graders that did a project last year and I had them invite fifth graders in for 20 to five to 30 minutes to see it. And so I had a couple of kids that told what the project was about, but then they had to sort of interact with it around the way. And it was and the kids right away were so excited when I said that. They were nervous about it. They you could see all of a sudden this emotion felt up because they were like, this, there's a purpose to this learning now. I'm going to see somebody else going to come in here and see this. And I actually flipped it. And I said, okay, when, when the fourth graders are done, you're going to come in to see theirs. So just a simple act of, in, at any level, you know, if I'm in a high school biology class, what if I invited the, the language arts class in to see uh, an, a celebration of learning, but also had an element where there was an inter- interactivity part to see what would be, the, what would happen if you overlapped poetry and high school biology, you know, see what would happen from there. So I think one way is just to have it, you know, don't make it anything extra. Think about the end of, you know, of a unit or an area and see, ask the kids because most likely they'll say yes. If you say, do you want to have some other kids come in and see what you guys created? How are we going to plan this? What's it going to look like? How are we going to engage them? And, and have an honest conversation about what what would you like to do if you went in there? Would you want to be sit and, and lectured to the whole time or would you want to be interact? You know, so that could be a, a way to start, you know, the process of just having an exhibition of learning, but making it interactive and and celebrating what's going on with another class of other kids that aren't typically in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what I love most about what you just said, Jason, um, is the fact that you, you just, you, you change the paradigm around this notion of who is the authentic audience, right? Because we all know it's not, it's not us as the teachers or it shouldn't be. Right. Um, and that authentic audience changes the entire dynamic of the work that's happening that the students are doing every single time. I've not once seen that not be a super, super effective 
a way, way to sort of shift the way everybody thinks about or has that conversation. So I love that. Thank well, you very cla- much. And yeah, yeah. I'll just share one more, like in a classroom too, what, what that does is it expands the, the sort of the, the circle, the circle of influence. It expands it. So Absolutely. instead of going through your yeah. whole schooling with one set of 25 kids, all of a sudden it's grown yeah. out. And so now, you know, a whole group of people that you didn't know earlier. Absolutely. And you you also have, have recognition that you're going to get feedback from somebody than just the teacher. Right? Uh, super, super powerful. Jason, thank you so much uh, for joining us today, taking time out of your day to share with us what you're doing. And I can't wait to hear kind of what happens next. So I'm going to um, hold your feet to the fire and say, hey, we're going to revisit this, I think sometime late spring. I think we should have a check-in to find out what happened with this project. Absolutely. I'm for it. Okay. Excellent. We're going to do it. I love it. Thank you so much for taking time today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.